literally clone types are built from scratch. And they can do it. They can do it. But in the meantime, they have to cope with the people, you see, which isn't difficult to do these days because everyone has been so dumbed down and kept out of reality that they're living through the most drastic changes and they can't even fathom really what's happening outside of what the little that the media tells them. And much of that is very misleading or outright, outright lying, in fact. Management, world management is what it's all about. And we have big non-governmental organizations running the show on behalf of the bankers outside of the political realm. Be back with more after this break. I am Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, discussing the transitions we're to go through in this century. We're already undergoing them, and we have, our whole lives in fact, been undergoing great transitions, even physical and biological transitions. Almost everyone now today has a completely bust immune system, and people are breaking out all over, as the old song goes with uh, rashes and allergies to everything, multiple allergies. And it's now common for people to be diagnosed for the first time with asthma in their 30s and 40s. Never happened before. But then we adapt so quickly to everything until everything is quite natural and normal and every second person is dying with cancer. Uh, That's the modern way. You see, population control doesn't ask for consent. You have to understand that. And you'll never understand anything truly until you cross that line and accept they've already been at it, the depopulation agenda, for a long time. Because, see, any plans you make or any, any comprehension you have on what you think you have will alter drastically when you cross that line. Completely different perspective on everything. That's the kicker. Many can come up to the line and, and, and stick there with, with either gold or silver or just batten down the hatches and get rations in, but they can't go further. Or they think they can just turn the clock back by asking nicely. And it won't happen that way. I talked before about the futurist society and how under many different names, and so it's got the present one, the futurist society, its primary job, even in the 1800s, was to hire, and again started off by Rothschild in England at first, he put up big uh, grants for authors to come forth with science fiction, basically, because through science fiction, they knew in the 1800s they could program coming generations to, to look forward to changes, certain plan changes, with excitement. And that's how they brought in the whole idea of the NASA age. They were already pumping out novel after novel after novel. And remember in that book, that uh, officially declassified one, at least the the contents of it are, on the American cultural wars, they admitted that from some of the big speakers in quotes in the book, they say that novels were so incredibly important for, for basically programming the people and preparing them for what's to come. Well, the future society, you see, they, they give, they pick certain people, certain novelists, and 
give them the outlines of a story and they give them the content that they must put in the story. Because really, it, it, that's, that's a whole thing. It, it's like a payload. You look at the payload in there along with the story. The stories are never very different because it's always hero, heroine, the chase, uh, the hunt, etc., uh, etc., et that gets us involved or the child has been stolen or something like that. But then it's, it's the bait that must go along with it that downloads you, the little hooks that they put in there to alter your impression and, and perception on uh, things without you reasoning through them. It's a very simple technique of predictive programming. But it works incredibly well. And I talked about the Fabian Society and how they use time on their side, intergenerational planning and working, till literally they can plan three generations, four generations ahead and know exactly the type of average citizen they want, including what they will believe in three or four generations' time on different topics. It's not difficult. But Newt Gingrich is an interesting guy because he is a futurist. He belongs to the Futurist Society. And I've mentioned before how, and he was Speaker of the House, remember, at one time. And uh, he was right up there. He still is because he belongs now to the parallel government. Once they're out of the Congress or Parliament, they join the parallel government that Thatcher talks about. And uh, they're not responsible to the public. And they're more active than ever when they're, when they're in politics. And they have more power, as Carl Quigley said. They have, they have the real power that politicians don't. And Newt Gingrich said this about uh, Alvin Toffler, because he was handing out Toffler's books on, to every congressman on the, on the steps that one day. And it's widely reported in the papers, mainly to get the people into reading the book. And we know that Toffler, of course, belongs to the Future Society, did Future Shock, etc., and the Third Way. Now, the term the Third Way also comes from Plato. All these guys refer to Plato for his ideas on a utopian system run by an elite guardian class who are the natural inheritors of the earth, and everything below them does what they're told. Even the creatures and humans below them are bred for their purpose. That was all Plato, and he called it the third way. But it's also the blending of the two systems that came out with in the Norman Dodds, uh, the Rees Inquiry, where the head of the Ford and Carnegie Foundations told uh, Senator Dodds that uh, their job was to change the culture so much in, in the U.S. United States and the West that they could blend the Soviet system seamlessly with that of the West. And that's happened. That's happened, you see. We could be run by a massive bureaucracy with specialized departments on every part of social life and engineering. Uh, this, is what, this is what Gingrich said. He said... Uh, this is from an article, I'm going to read the article shortly and also give you the link at the end of the show on my site. Gingrich revealed to Congress, for a long time I've been friends with Alvin and Heidi Toffler, the authors of Future Shock and The Third Way. I first began working with the Tofflers in the early 70s on a concept called anticipatory democracy. Have you heard of that before? Anticipatory democracy. In other words, it's when you see what's coming in the future, through think tanks, etc., well, you plan to guide, but mainly to control the future, bring in the future you, what you wish. He says, I was then a young assistant professor at West Georgia State College, and I was fascinated with the intersection of history and the future, which is the essence of politics and government at its best. 
for 20 years, we, now he doesn't say who we are, but we know who they are. He says, we have worked to develop a future conscious politics and popular understanding, popular understanding that would make it easier for America to make the transition from the second wave civilization. That was the one where you had rights and all the rest of it. Which is clearly dying, he says. Well, it had been because they'd already been working on eliminating your rights. To the emerging but in many ways undefined third wave civilization, which is Alvin Toffler's centrist utopia. The centrist utopia is a nice way to say the synthesis between communism and capitalism. Here's another quote. Futurism is a study of and interest in forecasting or anticipating the future or theorizing on how to impose controls on events. What he's talking about here is a centralized control of some sort. It could be government or it could be business. It isn't about allowing the market to operate freely as if it ever did. So here's an article here. It's from, it's from I think it's um, Interstage Right from their archives about Gingrich. And in the title, too, is, is Gore, Gingrich, and Toffler, a strange combination. But they're not strange at all. They're all in it together, you see, because it's through the, the threat of, of disasters about the environment and too many people, etc., that they're going to use, and they are using, to control us and reduce the population and to give up our rights. On November 11, 1994, still bubbling and cocksure over the Republican takeover of both houses, his coming coronation as Speaker of the House is Gingrich and his anointing as King of the Republican Revolution. Gingrich couldn't resist exploiting the moment to put in a free plug for something he devoutly believed in. The core of our contract, he says. Now, you don't understand, this is a time when they're all talking about new contracts. And they're giving you legalities. They're telling you they're giving you a new system. In Canada, they had Chrétien around at election time with his little red book. He said, everything's in this little red book. That's the alarm bells off, right? A little red book. Nazi tongues, little red book. Does that ring a bell? The core of a contract and a solution for those trying to figure out how to put me in a box, he said, could be found in a book by futurist Alvin Toffler called The Third Way, to which he added, I'm a conservative futurist. Futurism, as I already alluded to, is one and the same with the third way or third wave. They use both terms. I mean, the first one was from Plato. But for brevity's sake, Webster's Dictionary gives us another take on the subject. Futurism is a study of and interested in, in interest in forecasting or anticipating the future or theorizing on how to impose controls on events. Controls. In other words, a head in the clouds political philosophy complete with theories and forecasts. Theories and forecasts, that's where we live on today, which envisions, envisions the use of force to ensure those theories and forecasts come to pass. It would not be stretched to call it communism with economic vision, for that is what the futurists of the third way call it. You see, this communism, I've told you for years, uh, that the system of mass bureaucracies and agencies running the public will be run on the Soviet version, while those above will be the elite and their CEOs of international corporations. The new feudal system above that really were run by massive bureaucracy on, an, on a communistic basis below. But what 
thought then as a conservative futurist. We, we believe Newt Gingrich, it is in person a post-1994 Republican, and it is in policy the contract with America, the go-along, get-along policies of a party who for the next six years caved in under Clinton and the faith-based subsidies, private partnerships, fast-track hopes and bipartisan spirit of today's compassionate conservative movement, the latter of which had its start in the legislation and underlying principles of that same Gingrich contract. Remember, Gingrich, too, is a guy who heads off the annual science meeting to do with the coming brain chip, the first one being at New Orleans at Loyola University, where he kicks it off. Every year he does this, too. Very busy man, a little Maury Strong of a man, Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the Matrix, reading an article about one of the many Maurice Strong types, the technocrats that run across the planet, once they're out of politics doing the real work. The real work working with all the NGOs and the big foundations that lobby governments. They don't lobby very hard either because the guys in government know who to listen to and who not to. That's how, how simple it is, which way the wind is blowing. And even with the toffler's books being handed to them, that tells them where the wind is blowing. That's the political correctness. And they adapt right away to it because they want to get up the ladder. Quite simple. Back to this article here from Centre Stage. Right, it's called or enter stage right. And I'll read this little part again. He says, uh, for 20 years, this is Newt Gingrich, we, we have worked to develop a future conscious politics and popular understanding that would make it easier for America to make the transition. That goes along with the Rees Commission, remember. From the second wave civilization, which is clearly dying, well, they made sure they've been destroying the cultural values of America back then, you see to the emerging but in many ways undefined third-wave civilization, which is Alvin Toffler's centrist utopia, the progress has been more frustrating and the progress much slower than I would have guessed two decades ago. Yet despite the frustrations, the development of a third-wave political and a governmental system is so central to the future of freedom and the future of America. You remember they've got a different definition of freedom, that it must be undertaken. Well, that's what Obama's doing now. He's just his job. It's been government by government. It hasn't been uh, held back at all. So central, so critical indeed, that Mr. Gingrich put the book on a recommended reading list for members of Congress and all Americans. Why is he doing... Why is he putting a novelist book out there? Think about it. Very important novelist, isn't it? Remember the future of society. Future shock and all that stuff. Says, and mind you, he wouldn't let go of it. In speech after speech and press conference after conference, Gingrich referred to the third wave as the seminal work of our time. He started religiously. For those who hadn't read it or knew nothing about the third way or third wave, he uses both names, and that's meant to confuse you because it goes back to Plato. Gingrich delivered a few extra hints of where the third way was taking him. While I am a Republican leader in Congress, I do not believe Republicans or the Congress have a monopoly on solving problems and helping America make the transformation necessary to enter the third wave information revolution. Democratic mayors like Norquist in Milwaukee and Rendell in Philadelphia are making real breakthroughs at the city level, 
some of the best Vice President Gore's effects to reinvent global mint nibble in the right direction. Reinvent global, global or government nibble was government nibble in the right direction. To those conservative freshmen just elected, those died in the world conservatives already in hot war with Clinton and Gore, and those millions of Americans who had just swept this revolution into power, nothing could have smacked more of the trail than the foregoing. Sad to say, Gingrich wasn't kidding. He really had a thing for the third way and a peculiar partnership with what are now commonly referred to as new Democrats. There's always new something, eh? Toffer in his next book, Creating a New Civilization, The Politics of the Third Wave, writes, in 1975, at the request of congressional Democrats, the quest of them, we, we again, organized a conference on futurism and anticipatory democracy, the latter being the political game plan of the former. For senators and members of the House, we invited Newt Gingrich, probably the only Republican among the many futurists we knew. He attended. That conference led to the creation of the Congressional Clearinghouse on the Future, a group eventually co-chaired by a young senator named Al Gore, now Vice President. Gingrich, Gore-like, would rise within the third wave or third wave movement, would become a member of the Executive Committee of the Congressional Clearinghouse on the Future, and would win the praise of leftist ex-Marxists. And remember, Toffler was a Marxist. That's possibly the single smartest and most successful intellectual in American politics, as what Toffler said of Gingrich. That's probably the only Republican among the many futurists that Toffler knew. Gingrich's involvement in the movement was not what one would call conservative by traditional conservative standards. New American senior editor William F. Jasper in a 94-piece New Age Newt, a futurist conservative for the 21st century, reveals that Gingrich's embrace of the Third Way also includes a collaborative effort with Toffler and 20 New Left and New Age authors in a 1978 work, Anticipatory Democracy, wherein Gingrich endorsed Governor Jimmy Carter's socialist planning agenda. The book throughout extols the virtues of participatory democracy, a revolutionary slogan dear to the likes of Tom Hayden, Derek Shearer and Bill Clinton, and one drawn directly from the eighth plank of the Humanist Manifesto. You're going to hear more and more about humanism because they're raising their head in every country right now, and they're heavily funded for their promotions at the moment. By 1984, Jasper continues, Gingrich's influence in the Third Way movement was so far to the left that it brought on kudos from the likes of New Age philosopher Mark Satin. Is it Satin or Satan? Mr. Satan, <laughs> Satin is certainly no ordinary American. In his New Age Politics, written in 1978, a guide to New Age political thought, he called for planetary governance, a system of world taxation on resource use in 1978. That's carbon taxes, folks, you see. You, th- you think it's all evolving now? An increased transfer of wealth from rich countries to poor countries. That's what they're doing right now because of the financial collapse. That's a plank in the manifesto too, isn't it? I'll read some more when I come back from the upcoming messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
folks, I am Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix, trying to show you how everything's happening today was discussed, planned an awful long time ago by various agencies, all working under an umbrella, backed by the same foundations, because there is only one agenda, and each have their own specialized part to play, to bring it all about. And this article here goes into a technocrat, as is now called, he's a technocrat, a Newt Gingrich, who has been in politics, elevated up there, and then proven his worth to those who back him. And now he's getting real power to go around and hold world meetings on things which are outside the scope of you and I. And they are not accountable to the general public for the laws that he managed to get pushed by lobbying on governments. And this article says, you know, I'll read this part again, that this new age philosopher, guru, Mark Satin, obviously a pen name for, for Satan, but uh, it says, Mr. Satin is no ordinary American. In his New Age Politics, written in 1978, a guide to New Age political thought, he called for planetary governance. That's what it's all about today. 1978, remember. A system of world taxation on resource use. That's exactly what they're pushing today by the same people, by the way. <laughs> An increased transfer of wealth from rich countries to poor countries that's been done now through the IMF as it's been elevated through the crash. And complete military disarmament. He rounded that all out by stating in no uncertain terms his hostility for the nuclear family, traditional marriage, that's man and woman, and heterosexual society. Have you seen what's been taught in the schools since 78? How did that all happen, do you think? All of this has come to pass. It doesn't happen by coincidence. It's made to happen. Anticipatory democracy, as Mr. Gingrich calls it. So what did, what did change? Such a one as this, think of conservative New Gingrich. In the February 27, 84 issue of New Options, Saturn singled out New Gingrich as a top decentralist, globally responsible congressman not the kind of praise any true conservative would want on his resume. As for the odd phrase, decentralist, globally responsible con congressman, this is the kind of interesting paradox that fits the fishy decentralism or, or liberalization of the third way. A decentralism which seeks to move power not just down to the local level, but especially up to the international level. You see, that's exactly what's happening. Not surprisingly, then, ten years later, in the wake of the passage of NAFTA, Globalist Council on Foreign Relations Republican insider Henry Kissinger would be heard bragging across the universe that the man most responsible for giving us NAFTA, that's the North American Free Trade Association, which Kissinger called the important checkpoint in the way to a new world order, was none other than Newt Gingrich. Gingrich, in fact, fast-tracked NAFTA and GATT the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs, that's international, through Congress in December of 1994 as a gift to Clinton shortly before a new Republican Congress, which would have likely defeated the treaties, took control. An example of things to come from this conservative futurist, and perhaps it all fits. Heralded Republican third-way futurist Newt Gingrich emerges from the right at the same time that his comrade, third-way futurist Al Gore, and his pal Bill Clinton burst upon the scene from the left. Gingrich promised to take them down, but in the end, he took them in. 
he took them in. And that's really how the world is run. Politics, at the face of it, is just a puppet show for the public. That's all. And as they, of course, bring in their carbon taxes and everything you have to purchase will have various taxes involved because you're taking resources away from the planet, you see. Here's an article about Al Gore. How did they really suffer through all this, all the laws that they make for us to follow? This is from Newsbusters, and it's March 2nd, 2007. Media ignore Al Gore's financial ties to global warming. As Newsbusters reported here, there are huge dollars to be made from global warming alarmism. However, conceivably, no one is better positioned to financially benefit from the scam than Dr. Global Warming himself, former Vice President Al Gore, a fact that the media will surely not share with Americans any time soon. Yet, if America's press would take some time out of their busy schedules, covering the earth-shattering details surrounding Anna Nicole Smith's demise, they might find a deliciously inconvenient truth about the soon-to-be Dr. Gore that is significantly more fascinating and diabolical than anything likely to emerge from that courtroom in Broward County, Florida. It says, former Vice President Al Gore has built a green money-making machine capable of eventually generating billions of dollars from in- for investors, including himself. But he set it up so that the average Joe can't afford to play on Gore's terms. I'll, I'll also add on Gore's table. And the U.S. portion is headed up by a former Gore staffer and fundraiser who previously ran afoul of both the FEC and the DOJ before Janet Reno jumped in and shut down an investigation during the Clinton years. Think Katie, Charlie, or Brian will ever will be all over this tonight. Regardless, that was just the tip of the questionably melting iceberg, as reported by Bill Hobbs in Nashville, Tennessee. It says, Gore is chairman of the firm. It says, Gore helped found Generation Investment Management, big company, big corporation, through which he and others pay for carbon offsets. The firm invests the money in solar, wind, and other projects that reduce energy consumption around the globe. This that's their spiel. Gore is chairman of the firm and presumably draws an income or will make money as its investments prosper. In other words, he buys his carbon offsets from himself through a transaction designed to boost his own investment and return a profit to himself. To be blunt, Gore doesn't buy carbon offsets through generation investment management. He buys stocks. Fascinating. So as Dr. Global Warming travels the world in his private jet while spending 20 times the average American uh, on energy for his home, all the time telling us it's okay because he's buying carbon offsets, he's actually purchasing his investments from himself. Furthermore, and maybe more important, Gore stands to benefit financially in a potentially huge way if more and more people buy into this junk science. Isn't that special? Yet, it is not clear that Gore's money is going to purchase carbon offsets at all. Riel reported, here's a list indicating what it takes to make money along with Al. You need funds associated with these companies and have, that have placed millions of dollars under our goals control. And as you will see, below Gore's selection for the U.S. president of, G, of GIM might raise a few eyebrows as well. It's got all the different companies that's listed under this big conglomerate that he runs. 
And I'll put this link up too at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website after the show. You should go through. You see, these characters do not believe in what they make us believe. But then they are the guardian class, and it's their right to live differently from you. It's also their right to suck you like a big sponge being sucked out. Because that's what the public are for, according to these guys. You're not really up in the same class as them. They're, they've evolved at the top, you understand. They've evolved. And they care about the planet as it pays its way to the bank over and over and over. It pays for them to do so. But guess who's really paying? All you guys at the bottom. That's the reality of the world in which we live. Remember who trained guys like Gore, Armand Hammer. Armand Hammer strangely enough, was allowed to go back and forth to the Soviet Union. He had an apartment next to Lenin, then Stalin, for a while. The father. And all through that whole era, this multi-billionaire traveled back and forth, doing his businesses and making sure that politics was going the proper way globally, you see, as they run us from generation and century to century. Quite something, quite something. As I mentioned too, that I don't watch television and I don't watch very many movies at all. But every couple of years I'll, I'll pick up something that's now for two or three dollars that was a hit a couple of years ago to see what, what's been put into the public's minds because you see you're, you're programmed by fiction primarily. It's the easiest method to, to program people because you're given no choices in anything. You don't think you have to make choices. You're being entertained. And people about a year ago or so were, were, were harping on about the happening, the happening, the happening. And I got it out. And you could write a book on the predictive programming in it where nature just turns on people. And one message being there's too many people. Uh, guys working on tall skyscrapers were throwing themselves off to commit suicide suddenly because the plants putting a toxin in the air, meaning there were too many people and they were, and they were just spreading all over the globe, you see. So it was hitting them back where they were. People on the roads, working on roads or even traffic, they started killing themselves off, shooting themselves in the middle of the street in, in their cars, that kind of stuff. Even as a guy who was a, was a guy who was into botany, loved plants and really communicated with them and all the rest of it, but the fatal flaw, as he mentioned, he liked hot dogs. He liked meat. He died. It was so full of predictive programming to do the, with the screening agenda. They should have paid the public to go and see it. I said years and years ago, when the BBC ruled Britain solely, they had the rights of all airwaves, radio and television, and they made people buy a license. I, I thought they should really just you know, force the public to have one of these TVs and give them for free because it was obviously mandatory that you have the darn thing. It's all programming, programming you. That's how you get your downloads. And Hollywood took up the whole darn thing since the 1960s. They were given that task by the Royal Institute for International Affairs to create a global culture. And when I look through movies like this one, I can see why it's so easy now for them to get to stampede the human herd worldwide. Because they use the same scare tactics you'll see in the movies. When the media comes on in the movie with the right buttons being pressed, they're already conditioned to accept 
the absurd without thinking. That's how programming works. Fascinating to watch it. Fascinating. So it's simplistic, simplistic programming. But, but you can only see it if you haven't watched movies and, and consumed them like some people do, dozens a week. <laughs> if you're taking dozens a week, you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance of ever breaking into reality. I've also talked about how Julian Huxley, Aldo Huxley, the big players, wrote about having to dehumanize society, take humanity off its pedestal as being something wonderful and, and spiritual and, and the right to life and all that kind of stuff. Well, they've the degraded us to such an extent that nothing really matters anymore what we do with humans. It's like I've, I've talked about the you think it's just coincidence they're hanging corpses on wires, plasticized corpses at art galleries, and, and the people are flooding in to see these things. It's all desensitization, dehumanization. But even this article I'm about to read feeds into this, because, of course, they'll wait and see if there's any response. There'll probably be none, no response to this anymore. From the Mail Online, <clears throat> it says, Put your dead baby in the fridge. What a nurse told the mother who suffered a miscarriage. This is Britain. It doesn't surprise me in Britain because the healthcare system is the pits. This was on, this was on the 1st of May, 2009. She just endured the trauma of a miscarriage at home. But when Sophie Hill phoned her hospital with her dead child next to her, she was simply told to put it in the fridge for two days until her scheduled appointment at the clinic. Confused and in shock, Miss Hill followed the nurse's instructions and stored the fetus in a Tupperware box in her fridge so it would be kept cool for testing. Last night, as hospital bosses investigated, Miss Hill said she'd been betrayed by the National Health Service and her father called for the nurse who gave the advice to be suspended. It says she became overjoyed when she became pregnant for a second time with boyfriend Jamie George and the pair had been planning for the arrival of what they hoped would be on its second daughter. The 12-week scan showed the baby was growing well but subsequent later tests revealed problems. She was told in February when she was four months pregnant that the baby had died. Weeks later, I guess at home, she miscarried. So she phoned up the hospital and told her what, what, what had happened. And the nurse said, this is East Surrey Hospital. She, she says, um, she said I had to keep the child cold for testing reasons and should keep it in the fridge until my appointment. A scheduled appointment came up. Doesn't surprise me. This is the sort of thing you would expect in some really third world country. Well, guess what's happened, folks? Guess what's happened? And then just because everything is blatant in your face now and the public have no rights and they're being told this in no uncertain terms, there's an article here from the Sunday Times, May the 3rd, Jackie Smith's secret plan to carry on snooping this head of security for Britain, and she's not the boss, obviously. She's taking the heat. It says, spy chiefs are pressing ahead with secret plans to monitor all internet use and telephone calls in Britain, despite announcement by Jackie Smith, the Home Secretary, of a ministerial climb down over public surveillance. The GCHQ, the government's eavesdropping centre, is developing classified technology to intercept and monitor all emails, website visits, and social networking sessions in Britain. They will also be able to track telephone calls made over the internet 
as well as all phone calls to landlines and mobiles. Well, guess what? They've been doing it all along. <laughs> They've been doing it since they gave us a darn thing. In fact, they've been doing it since the mid-90s when they passed the laws internationally for the Western countries, at least. This, this article itself is just, again, predictive programming to hammer at home. But you have no secrecy. And you know something? The young ones, they don't mind. The young ones who came through into the schools getting searched and all the rest of it, and then going through metal detectors, etc., and lockdowns, practice drills, they don't mind because this is the future they're trained into. It's all quite normal to them when they leave school. That's what you do. Train the next generation who will think nothing of being stopped on the street and searched. Nothing at all. Predictive programming. Intergenerational. Quite simple. Now we'll go to the phone lines and we've got Maggie from Texas on the line. Are you there, Maggie? Ron, hi. Yes. Um, you talked a lot about uh, Toffler's Future Shock. As, um, I would never have guessed it was such an important book because when it came out, and I forget when that was, the 70s maybe, yeah. I just found it unreadably boring. Yes. I couldn't get through it. It used a baby-like language. Mm-hmm. Um, the vocabulary that was incredibly dull, yes. and I couldn't see how anyone, I can't see now how anyone could relate to it. Yes, and yet it was pushed through every school and university as a, as a work of incredible art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hold on, and I'll come back on to that after this break. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, and we're talking to Maggie from Texas, who just mentioned the fact that Toffler's first book, Culture Future Shock, was so awfully boring uh, for the for a person with a mind to read, and yet it was pushed through universities. And the fact is, is like the the book, as I say, America's Cultural Wars, where the CIA gave America its culture and ran it during the whole Cold War. It, it says right in the book that the CIA employed these hack writers that would never have made it on their own. And, and, and see, he, he, Toffler falls into that grouping, you see. But it's heavily funded to do so. Yeah. Are you still there, Maggie? Yeah, yes, I still yeah. am. Um, yeah, there's, there are a couple of things I, I want to ask you about that are related, but I'll, I guess I'll just have to pick one. Um, in the middle 80s, I worked for... Um, a multinational corporation, a, a big, bad multinational corporation, and uh, which at the time I didn't realize how evil it was. It was a part-time job. Anyway, um, I noticed that they relied very, very heavily on uh, what was then <coughs> Booz Allen, <coughs> now Booz Allen Hamilton, and I couldn't believe it when I would look at those charts that they were considering so holy and important because they were... They were written at what I would, what I would call a second grade level and uh, in the format that today you would call PowerPoint. Yes. And I, I just couldn't believe it. What, what was this all about? <laughs> well, well, again, the orders were coming down from the top. People think that orders are made at the top of the corporations. But what you're really seeing is, is a format of, of um, 
where they're all on board with consensus between corporation and corporation and corporation, as they are all on board today with the greening project. Everything's going green. It doesn't matter what the company is. I'll say it's going green, and, and it's also vague to the average person. But because it's politically correct, they adapt the terminology and so on. Whatever political correct concepts are being pushed within the documentation that's handed there, every top person that wants to get on in that company must adapt to it and believe in it right away, like it's a new religion. That's the same technique they were using back then. It's been used for the last hundred years, actually. And they actually have foundations that, that sold, whose sole job it is is to get all the top CEOs using the same terminology, uh, the same articles to embed within their policies so they're all on track, as I say, consensus building. That's the key to it. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Just unbelievable. Uh, and yet, now, um, to go back in time, you have talked about how at a certain point, I guess it was around the 1500s, we were given a beautiful language through the uh, King James Bible and through Shakespeare, and then later on we were given uplifting music, you know, yep. Bach, Beethoven, and Brown. Why did they at that time give people such a gift when they had the mm-hmm. potential to withhold it? Yeah, because at that time they needed the public and the whole, whole nations to be nationalistic, incredibly nationalistic, as they used places like Britain to take over and basically create a world empire. Uh, that even in the League of Nations and the United Nations Charter and also within the Royal Institute for International Affairs, CFR's charter says that the British Empire would be the nucleus for the world order that they are copying, the same system. So they gave it to the public, but then in the last hundred years, as the public must sink into it from Britain, they start to debase your, your society, same in the U.S., and bring you down because you must blend into the world system that you help create. And, okay. and that's how simple it is. Yeah. Thank you very but much. Thanks for calling. And I'll probably do a show on that later on when I can't get time. But from myself, from Hamish the dog, and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God, all your gods, go with you.